Welcome, good movie buddies, to the Popcorn Diets 2019 Oscar Primer. As always, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and joining us, as usual, is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. Now, if you've never listened to one of our Oscar Primer episodes before, they are designed to bring a bit more of an analytical look, a bit more of a controlled conversation uh, as we talk about what many are calling the the classy pictures, the prestige movies, the awards contenders that are considered to be big players in this year's awards season, ultimately leading up to the 91st Annual Academy Awards on February 24th, 2019. And this particular primer episode is focusing on a movie that, you know, I don't want to assume, but I'd be willing to guess more people have access to than your typical black and white foreign film Oscar, uh, Oscar front, front runner contender, whatever you want to call it. And that is because this week we are doing Roma, which is being distributed by Netflix, both in theaters and of course, via their online streaming platform. So we're talking about Roma this week. Roma is written and directed by Mexican filmmaker Alfonso Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron is responsible for, um, he's directed a handful of pictures going all the way back to The Little Women back in the 90s, uh, but you may know him as the director of films like Children of Men or Gravity, for which he won an Oscar, or even, most of you will probably know his work as the director of what many consider to be the best Harry Potter film, which is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't, personally. I'm an Order of the Phoenix lover here. But nonetheless, Prisoner of Azkaban is fantastic. Uh, again, written and directed by Cuaron. And it stars literally a cast of unknowns. People who, from everything that I've been able to tell, have not been in a movie at all. Um, save for the Lucha Libre Latin lover, who actually shows up in the film. But the main character of uh, Chloe, or Cleo, excuse me, Cleo, is played by Yalitza Aparicio, uh, who is Mexican actress, again, unknown, came from nowhere, has no formal training, but was cast uh, as uh, a maid. Um, and that is the story of this film. It's essentially a slice-of-life film. That is about a maid and the family that she works with and the trials, tribulations, and turmoil, not only in their lives, but also in the world around them, in the in the larger world around them. And then this family goes through, you know, its own hardships, but the film is always reminding you that there are big things happening beyond it and other things happening beyond it. And I find that to be really interesting. Um, and so that's, I mean, that is essentially it. You know, there's not too much of of a plot, you know, there's not, I mean, without getting into spoilers and whatnot, of which we will be talking spoilers in this Oscar Primer podcast, but David, it's one of those movies that you know I don't typically care for, and I'm not sure that, that you're as big a fan of this, but m more often than not, I'm not the biggest fan of these slice-of-life films, you know, um, particularly... Uh, I don't know why, because it's not really in the same ballpark, but Boyhood, 
really did not care for Boyhood, really didn't care for all the accolades that it was getting. It seemed like a movie that didn't really have a point. Um, it seemed like a movie that I'll never get the two and a half hours back from. That being said, the way it was filmed was revolutionary. Similar to this, there is... I don't know that there is necessarily a point to this film. You know, one could argue that. Um, but certainly, I think one of the larger talking points of this film is the way that it is filmed, um, which we'll get into in a little bit. We'll get into the director and 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 the, the, the look of the film and whatnot. But David, just right off the bat, how did you feel about this film? How did you feel, you know, coming out of this film in terms of storytelling, in terms of plot? I mean, it's a slice of life following a family in 70s Mexico, you know, a middle class, somewhat middle to up, you know, well off. You know, they got their own private compound, what seemed to be a relatively big house. What'd you think? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, it's obviously a little bit more difficult for you and I to fully identify with a lot of the story that they're telling because one we've lived in the states all our lives sure. um not in in mexico <laughs> um, not in black and white <laughs> and um also you know it's 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 hard to really identify you know they seem to be wealthy for the place that they're living maybe not necessarily wealthy by like american standards sure. from that standpoint sure. um cuz obviously you know they afford multiple cars they've got you they know, have well, uh, wealthy a decent size staff mm -hmm. helping with them. Mm -hmm. There seems to be like a driver, a two maids, uh, two maids. So there's there's a handful of people that, you know, if you looked at it on the surface level, like to you or I, like we'd say, oh, that must be a wealthy family. But um, you don't necessarily get that sense always throughout the movie. It's kind sure. of an interesting balance. And obviously, you have the whole process that's going through with the divorce. Um, so. It, you know, the mom doesn't seem like she's going to have a lot of money because the the father right. in this story is not sending a whole lot of money. She's having to change careers, all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to see them obviously blend and blend the story of, you know, probably a story we've seen before um, of a slice of life of like a family kind of falling apart sure. type of thing. Sure. Um, and, and maybe falling apart is not the right word, but changing. Yeah. Um, going through the divorce. You know, we've seen that in movies before. Um, but he blends it between their story and the story of obviously what I would define our main character in this. As Cleo, yeah. Um, Cleo and her role balancing as a maid and really almost another family member, um, which I think is common in these in these situations where you see that balance throughout the movie of like at one second, she's treated like a family member, and then another second, she's treated like crap, like... Like an employee. Pick up all the dog crap that's in this driveway, like I told you to pick this up. Right. Um, it's super interesting. And so you see that that balance of, like, yes, they welcome in and invite in, but then at the end of the day, you're still serving these people, um, which takes that. And then you even have the balance of um, their life outside of serving these people. They Absolutely. still have a life that they're trying to... Um, maintain. maintain. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see how he kind of intertwines the two stories because obviously in real life they would be very much intertwined. And and so I thought I thought the overall storytelling and plot, um, like you said, it's nothing 
it is very much slice of life, which isn't something that you and I are always the biggest fan of. Sure. But I think it was interesting the way that he told it and the way he kind of intertwined the two two sides of it. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a really good point, which is one one could take a look at this film and they could say this is a film about a family falling apart, but you corrected yourself and said changing. And I think that's the point of the film. I think you see you saying that is it that's that's the point is it clicked in that there are all these personal tragedies happening in this film there is the divorce and the separation that is happening on the fringe you know it's never really officially dealt with it's just oh the dad's going away for a while and the dad's been away for a while and then suddenly cleo sees the dad at like a movie theater and it's like wait the dad's not away and then you get more and more and more, you know, into that. And the same is true of Cleo's pregnancy and and her trying to find her boyfriend who abandoned her and the way that he treats her. One could certainly take a look at those instances and say, like, everything is falling apart. But this film very much treats it as just a simple evolution. And a big part of that is that this is a somewhat autobiographical tale of Alfonso Cuaron himself. And he he's bringing... It's such a fascinating thing because this is very clearly a personal story for him. This is his most um, intimate story that he's ever told. You you look back and you look at – I mean just look at the th his three biggest films that I listed off, Children of Men, Gravity, um, Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, those movies certainly have personal character – moments in them but they're also massive films with massive set pieces and 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 action and technology on display here but the way he approaches this film is almost like an artist i think one of my favorite parts about roma is the flourish that he brings as a director in that this film is shot in a very gorgeous black and white and this this, this film is composed of scenes and those scenes are composed of shots and there are dozens upon dozens of shots in this film that you could freeze frame, print out, hang on your wall, and they would be considered legitimate art. This film is gorgeous from top to bottom as a black and white film. The cinematography, which Alfonso Cuaron did his own cinematography in this film as well, um, which means he was the one in control of the lighting. He was the one that was, that was in control of the camera placement, the camera movement. It is absolutely stunning you know just from top to bottom and it takes kind of a uh, for such a personal film it takes kind of a pulled back approach you know so you're not getting in people's faces a lot of the time it's not an overly directed film it's almost like a documentary it's almost like a fly on the wall how did you feel about do would you agree with that did did you like that did you not like that because to me that was one of the things that kept me watching was just the gorgeous imagery on display. Like, oh my God, that's beautiful. And oh my God, that's beautiful. Whether it be fires or whether it be, you know, bursts of violence in the city streets or whether it be the beach, whatever. Like, it's a gorgeous movie. Sure. I, you know what? I had mixed feelings on it. Um, I'll put it this way I feel like it was shot in a way that personally, and this is me. Sure. Maybe it's not everybody. Of course. Um, I had a harder time following it than a traditional film. And from that, I mean things like um, not just because it was in black and white. Obviously, that contributes to it. Um, but because it's shot from a distance for a, a large amount of the scenes, there's a lot of scenes where you're not even seeing what's happening. You're just hearing what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of wide like, shots. Like I think of like the beach scene where like, 
you're just seeing Cleo uh, trying to get out into the water. You're right. not seeing like how far they're out there, which kids are even out there struggling. Like you're only getting part of what's going on. Um, and again, I think for your average moviegoer, it makes it a more difficult film to follow than your average film. Possibly. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Again, it, to me, it just screams of this was intentionally done in a way to be shot in an artistic way versus necessarily, you know, while it was very much still about the story and the way that he told the story, right? it was also done in a way to, there was definitely intent on doing this different than your average film Absolutely. from that standpoint. Absolutely. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just when you do that, I think it's going to be a little bit more divisive from the standpoint of some people aren't going to like it right. because it's done in a way that, again, I think is made a little bit more difficult to follow. I use the example of like the the boys in the family, mm-hmm. um, the two younger boys. There was definitely a couple scenes where it was more difficult for me to tell which one. Who was who. Who was who. Sure. Who did what, or or remember that because you don't get those up close shots of seeing who that was or that kind of thing, and and they are different ages, so you know if if you keep track of that, you just have to work a little bit harder than your average film from that standpoint. Definitely, it, it reminds me of older films as well. You know, uh, it reminds me of um, you go back to films of the forties and fifties when. You know, cameras, there weren't steady cameras and things like that. And, and and older films are filled with wide shots. And to me, I always found it harder to emotionally connect to a film that has wide shots because you don't bring it in close. You don't see the emotion on people's faces and things like that. And, and I can certainly see how that, you know, has an effect here. I think the other thing is that this, again, this film has a very documentary-like feel other than, as you said, as simplistic as this film feels, it's very deliberate. It's very artistic. There are it is showy without being showy. Mm-hmm. It is let us let's see how we can craft this film. But it's also again, it's very it's a very small scale stakes type film, and a big part of that is in the performances as well. You know, as we said, literally none like we pull up the Wikipedia, you pull up the IMDb page, none of the people in this film have a film credit. You know, and and everybody plays it very naturalistically, you know. So, uh, like we said, Yalitza is Cleo. She's our lead character. um, And she isn't, you know, and I certainly don't, I I, I actually really like this film. I think it's a gorgeous film and I think everybody should see it. But I can certainly see its faults because Cleo is not a super dynamic character to me. She's very soft-spoken. There are not very extended scenes of dialogue and conversation. You know, this isn't an Aaron Sorkin film that is just poetry spilling out of people's mouths. There are times when Cleo is talking to people and she just is one or two answer, one or two word answers, very quiet. And there was a moment in the film where I got annoyed. I was like, fucking speak up, Cleo. Come on, damn mm-hmm. it, you know? And I think that's the point. That's the film getting an emotional reaction out of me. Um, but all, everything is, it's almost a documentary-like feel where everything plays out very real. Everything plays out very quietly. Um, more oftentimes, if and when characters are presented with 
I don't know, a difficult situation. They're quiet about it. I think that's how life is, you know, like, are you more, are you more likely if, if, if some violence occurs, you know, sudden violence bursts, you know, not too far away from you, you know, are you going to burst into action here in mode? Or are you kind of just going to stand there quietly and be like, and just freeze up? You know, it's different for everybody, well, but I, I certainly saw a naturalistic approach that way. But I think that he's also showing just what the the that time was in of course in that area. Um, so I mean, this was very much a historical piece as well because he wasn't just telling the story of this family. He wasn't this, just telling the story of this maid, Cleo. Right. He was also telling the story of the political unrest and things that were happening mm-hmm. in, is it Mexico City? I think it's Mexico City. Let's, yeah, it's it the, was Mexico City. Yeah, Mexico City. Um, what was going on in Mexico City at those times. Right. Um, I think of it almost in a way of like, and this is a bad example, but this is the first one that comes to mind. But like, you think of like Sound of Music, like Sound of Music isn't, a world war movie. No. But it's very much a part of what's going on there. Right. And this obviously isn't all about what's happening in with the unrest, the, the city, student unrest, unrest in and whatnot. Mexico City, but it definitely plays a big part, especially with her relationship with whatever that uh the karate uh the karate kid. Yeah. What's with- his name again? Uh, <laughs> um, is it is it Pepe? No, it's, no, not, it's not Pepe. Pepe. That's one Fer- of the boys. For me. For me, that's right. For me, um, I hate it. For me, all the men in this movie are dipshits. Are just the worst. BTW. They are pretty bad. <laughs> Other than the little boys, I mean, the boys are boys. I mean, they're boys. What are you gonna do? Uh, but but I, I, you know, that's an excellent point. In that, it was one of my favorite parts of this film. Kind of to go back to the the relevance of it. You know, if we want to talk about the relevance of it, it's not exactly a timely film. This movie could be made in 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 any. Decade. This movie could have been made in the 90s. It could have been made, hell, it could be straight out of the 70s, you know? Um, but I really loved going back to the theme of how there's evolution, there's change, you know? And you can choose to let it destroy you or you can choose to move on um, and continue on because that's how I feel the end of the film was is they, they, Cleo, Again, major spoiler alerts here. Cleo loses her baby. The kids almost die in a riptide. They come back and the father has cleaned out half of their shit. And instead of dropping to the floor and letting this be the end of them, they are like, okay, we're in this room now. We're moving on. Cleo's going back to work. Like we're family together. And I love that. But I also, as you said, I loved how the world peeks in. From time to time, from the edges, the main focus is on this family, but the world peeks in and that's the plane flying overhead. The plane, which the there's occasionally there's a, a jumbo jet, you know, an airliner that's flying overhead. That's the world, you know, that's the outside world. That's the possibility of going into the outside world or the outside world seeping in um, the the riot in the streets is the outside world. The visit to the military camp is the outside world. Um, even uh, when they go to the family lodge, you know, and there's fires and stuff and there are larger things happening. Or when they go to dinner and there's that wedding happening behind them, the world is always moving around them. 
even as they go through their own smaller tragedies. Uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know if that makes, necessarily makes it relevant per se, but I really found that to be an interesting part, an interesting aspect of the storytelling is that these people, these characters are going through world-changing events for them. You know, things that in the grand scheme of the world don't matter. Um, and, and yet the world spins on. The world continues out there outside of them. You know, I thought that was really rad. Yep. Um, Obviously, it was a little bit different with a movie like this, too. Just judging, I think there's relevance to this movie beyond the film itself, sure. too, from the standpoint of this is probably the first like legitimate shot Netflix has at an award. And I know we're not hopping to awards yet. Right. But that in essence, could be part of this film's legacy as 100%. well. 100%. Is kind of breaking that that window or, or whatever you want to say for streaming sites mm -hmm. to be able to get into those award conversations. Um, and, and I think it obviously has a very good chance, and we'll talk more about what awards, but that's going to lead to obviously the, the box office is not great for this. It it did get released in some theaters, but sure. most of the people most people are watching this on Netflix. I mean, Netflix um, pushed this in a way that I've never seen them push a movie before. Well, there was like a takeover of Netflix at one point for Roma, like yeah. where you logged in to Netflix and it took over basically your whole screen. And think about that. Think about this is a foreign film. It was subtitles mm -hmm. filmed in black and white filmed in a very, you know, uh, artistic type of way. And the largest streaming service in the world put it on everybody's login screen. Sure. That's amazing to think about in 2018. When you look back and you think about films like life is beautiful or il postino, or you think about other foreign films back then and just, I mean, hell, even now you think about how other smaller films are so difficult to get to. And sure. what Netflix did with Roma is really something special. Yeah, well, and I think it also has to do with who was behind it. If well, Alfonso sure. is not behind it, like I guarantee you, whenever we get the Irishman everywhere, we're gonna have that taking over Netflix too, because uh -huh. you're getting a Scorsese film on Netflix for sure. So I, I do think it's obviously the first one of this as well. It's as well as like we talked about. This is very much in the awards conversation. Um, as well, but it, it definitely was interesting to see how Netflix continues to evolve as well, and and the role that this has in that involving. Right, but it did get a theatrical release as well, right? I mean, they had Little to. Bit. They they they, and this is interesting to me. This to me is the evolution of Netflix, less as a streaming service and more of ultimately a studio or a content provider. Right, because they ultimately they released it in a little bit here, a little bit there, a little two theaters here, two theaters there. Ultimately, I don't think Netflix reported it necessarily, um, but I think in the small amount of theaters that it was in, it made what, like two million dollars. Right. Yeah. But I believe the numbers, and this the other thing is Netflix doesn't share their numbers, right? But I believe the numbers were that something like twenty million people watched Roma. Yeah. In its first weekend or its first week or whatever. 20 million subscribers watched Roma. And if you multiply that by $10 a subscription or whatever it is, that's $200 million worth. Yeah, and, and obviously that's there's differences in that. I mean, I'm sure plenty of people turned on Roma and turned it off before it finished. Maybe. Or Possibly. had it on while they were doing something else. Like that's the difference with streaming sites is – 
you don't have to be a captive audience like you have to be when you're in a movie theater. Right. As well as, you know, how many people would not have chosen to go see Roma had it been in the theaters versus the convenience of it drove them to do it. Like a lot of them, sure, it's it's on my Netflix. There's a lot of crap I watch <laughs> that I would never pay money for. Sure. Uh, but it's part of Netflix, so I'll watch it. Right. Um, and so obviously that... It's just a different world that we're in right now. Very much so. With with streaming sites and the the things that are made available, and it's great for I think the film industry because obviously Alfonso is going to get his his content seen regardless. Like studios will roll out movies that he does. I I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I mean, I get your point. Don't get me wrong, but think about this film again. How many studios, aside from like a Focus or an A twenty four, would would go to go to Alfonso I, or go to this film and be? It's a black and white Mexican subtitled film set in the seventies about a family. Like, yeah, no but studio's once, gonna once, make money once, on that. Once you win an Oscar, I think you can find a studio that will do your film. It's that's not a bad point. I mean, <laughs> it's kind. There's a lot of weird movies that come out from people that some studio will do it just having that name attached and and again this was a 15 million dollar budget film sure it's not like a studio's having to throw out a bunch of cash to get this done sure all of these actors <laughs> were no name actors so it's not like your casting budget is expensive right so again this would be i think any studio would have taken this i think um I think, and this is all me just, you know, making speculation, of but course. I think someone like Alfonso probably looked at Netflix as an ideal uh, partner for this because, like you said, how many people are going to go to the theaters and watch a black and white foreign film? Right. Not a lot, but you put it on Netflix where it's easily accessible, you're going to have millions more people that go and watch your movie right. than if you put it out in theaters. So that's why I think this film was best suited to be released on a streaming site because at least in America, you're not going to get a bunch of people to go out to the theaters and watch this. Well, I think it's rad. Going back to just the look and the feel of the film one last time, I again, going, I think it is so cool. And again, we're living in a different world here, you know? But you have Alfonso Cuaron. He, yeah, he won an Oscar. He's best, won a Best Director Oscar. So did the Coen brothers. And the Ballad of Buster Scruggs didn't take over Netflix or whatever. Bird Box just came out. Sandra Bullock, one of the biggest stars in the world, that didn't take over Netflix. It's pretty taken over. I mean, uh... (laughs) according to their numbers, it has, yes, but not in a way that Netflix promoted it, you know? And I just have to give one one last shout out to Netflix. They bought, they, this was an independently produced movie. Cuaron and Gabriel Rodriguez and Nicholas Celis produced this film themselves. This is an independently produced film that Netflix bought, right? Um, and they put the they put you know the they said all right we're gonna buy this we're gonna distribute this and to your point I, Quaron must have loved that imagine taking this personal film and being able to quickly and easily distribute it to hundreds of millions of people across the globe without having to sell them on it like this is something they already have I just think that is so cool that we get a film like this that is so impeccably crafted and shot is literally one of the most beautiful films of the year. Like I said before, dozens of shots in this movie could be printed out and made their own artwork. 
you know? Um, it's such a, and yet it is such a personal film, such a deeply personal and emotional film for, for Cuaron that to have this distributed by Netflix is, it's just cool, man. It's cool the world that we live in because 10 years ago, this never would, like you and I maybe not have seen this film, you know? Uh, or hell, forget you and me. I mean, we love movies. Think about somebody who's living in Colorado or somebody who's living in Kansas or somebody who's living in, 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 in Canada or living in Germany, you know, and being able to spread this culture like this and spread this film, that gets me all jazzed up, you know, even though I, when it comes to award season and when it comes to Oscar primers and things like that, I don't think Roma would have had any issue getting the recognition that it's going to be getting. That being said, it's cool that the world is able to recognize it, you know, the humanity at large, if yeah. you will. So which which leads into what awards you you do think this is gonna get, or what awards do we think this is? I think it's from the buzz that we're hearing, as well as from us both watching it, uh-huh. to me. And we still have some more films to see. And so from a number standpoint, there's always a chance it's on the outside looking in. But I think it's a shoe-in to get at least a nomination for Best Picture. I would agree. Uh, Foreign film as well. Foreign film. Guaranteed. (laughs) um, Director. It's it's one of those films that you you mentioned earlier that it didn't it wasn't overly directed from the standpoint of like the different types of shots as far as close-ups and those types of things. But that being said. It was very much directed in the way that it was shot, and it was very artistically done, which I think especially the Academy loves. And Minimalistically so, done. Artistically, but minimalist. But I think, like you said, it wasn't showy from like a explosions and things like that, right. but it was definitely showy and intentional in the right. way that it was done. You walk away from that movie, from this movie, not... Uh, for me, I walked about away from it thinking more about the way it was shot uh-huh. than necessarily what the story was. Probably, I, and I wouldn't disagree with that. And right. I and I thought about both, but I thought more about what the way it was sure. shot and the way it was deliberately put together sure. than necessarily the story itself. Sure. Um, what other ones do you think? Well, before we get into what I think it will get, I want to talk about what I think it won't get which is any sound categories. There's no music in the film, so no song, no score, no sound mixing, no sound editing. Although I don't want to completely dismiss those two sound categories because there is something to be said about the, 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 the layered sound of like the crowds and the theater and stuff like that. There's really subtle, subtle sound work being done in this film that is incredibly impactful. So I won't rule those out completely, but like visual effects, hair, makeup, that shit ain't going to get nominated. So I have it down for seven, potentially seven awards. I'm putting it's under at five or it's over under at five. Okay. But my picks um, again, we're not talking about wins. We're talking about nominations here. Yep. I think picture, I think director, I think foreign film are all pretty much guaranteed. I think mm-hmm. cinematography is guaranteed. I think original screenplay is very likely. And then I think maybe slightly less likely would be something like production design. And then slightly, slightly less likely would be for um, uh, Yalitza as best actress. Um, I think anything beyond that would be really surprising to me. Uh, so, 
Yeah, that's I have it down for those seven picture director, foreign film, cinematography, original screenplay, production design, and actress. Yeah. What do you think? I'm I'm gonna put it right at five. Um, I think I agree with the top five that you had. I don't see it getting production design, but that would be probably the next best guess that I have. I don't see her getting actress um, no. again, and I think that's not necessarily a knock on her performance, but the of way not. the way this movie was shot made it difficult to connect f- to connect sure. with her as close. I think other than obviously the miscarriage scene is the most emotional, yeah, um, and that's just a long acting take that you see, yeah, um, like that's your Oscar scene, but no <laughs> one's gonna want to put that up on the screen at the mm, Oscars. I doubt it. Um, they're going to put the water scene for yeah. sure on the beach if she was nominated. But I think that one's, I think she's going to end up on the outside looking in, unfortunately. I mean, because unf- I think she does a good job. Yeah, she does a great job. And again, I, I, pretty much with all of our Oscar Primer ones, I mean, we have not watched a movie. I think Beautiful Boy is the closest one that we were just like, eh, about, you know? Um, it's not so much that, you know, they don't deserve it, it's just that there are. There's such a stacked field in a lot of these categories. So, all right. So, over under five awards, you're calling it even at five? I'm calling five. Um, Man, I don't want to do the same thing that you do. So, I'm going to say over. All right. I'm going to say it's going to get six or more uh, for Roma. Again, a film that is available to everybody who's a Netflix subscriber right now. And if you're not a Netflix subscriber right now, I know that you're leeching off of somebody's subscription. I know that it's your parents or your uncles or cousins or whatever. So take the opportunity. Take the two hours or however long this film is. I don't remember exactly. I think it's a little over two hours. Um and just pay attention. Turn off your phone. Don't get distracted. A lot of people are going to be pushing. Uh, well, not a lot of people are going to be pushing you. But I've seen online so many people who are like, go see this in the theater as Alfonso Cuaron intended. It's really hard to do when it's only in 400 theaters nationwide. So do your absolute best to watch this with no distractions. Because if you're as ADHD as I am sometimes... It could be very easy to get distracted by. Unfortunately, I made it through, but this is a special film, a special made film, a really well-directed film, a really interesting film that gives you insight into a culture that you might not be familiar with, into a time that you might not be familiar with. And as I said, it's available at your fingertips right now if you're subscribing to Netflix. But David, you have it at under, or no, you have it right at five. And I have it at over five for our over and under. But uh, yeah, Roma's great. Uh, It's definitely going to be a big player this year. Um, But other than that, I think that about wraps it up. So before we go, I want to remind everybody, do us a big favor. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you may be listening to us, you can get these episodes delivered to you right now for free just by subscribing to our podcast. I mention right now because we have launched a Patreon. If you listen to this, if you like what we're doing, do us a favor, go to patreon.com slash the, the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron to this podcast. You know, we do this as a hobby. We do this for fun, but at the same time, we'd like to do so much more with it. So by throwing us a couple bucks, 
not only might you get access to these episodes later on, which might not always be free, they might be Patreon exclusive, but we also have other patron exclusive episodes. We have some merch, some gifts and things like that. And you could get a shout out on the podcast as well. So again, we love the fact that you are listening to this podcast. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. If not, you can always follow us on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And then you can fall all fa- find all of our free episodes, all of our reviews, all of our articles, all of our Oscar predictions on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another Oscar primer leading up to the 91st annual Academy Awards on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.